Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching and listening to recently. I'm Terry, and Mary Beth's face looked like she just ate a bug. I'm Mary Beth. I just finished yawning right before. Thank you for vamping so I could recover from it. And then I kept making the <laughs> face. I thought it was funny. Um, I'm Mary Beth again. <laughs> Woo! Uh, this week we are talking about Alex Garland's newest film, Some Spooky Music, Sam Raimi's mm-hmm. return to the superhero genre, ruthlessness in country music, and the granddaddy of crossovers. Heck yeah, we are. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> um, I am dying to hear about men, Alex Garland's latest newest film. Um, so let's start with air. Okay, so I saw Men. Men is out uh, the day that this is posted. It is out in theaters. And I saw it recently i don't fucking remember when i saw it at this point i I remember nothing um but i saw it as part of a press screening and i've still been trying to piece together how i feel about this movie like i wrote my review for it like i talked about it on a video for something for work like and i'm still reeling from it and i mean this in a good way so okay for those of you who are not familiar this is alex garland's third film he directed annihilation and ex machina as well as the show devs which i absolutely love this film, he wrote and directed it. It's about a woman named Harper, played by Jessie Buckley, who was my queen. Um, she goes to the idyllic British countryside to heal after her husband um, dies. Her And there's like a lot of stuff going on with her husband that you kind of learn in flashbacks about their relationship. And when she gets to this beautiful house, she starts getting harassed by men. And... Every male character in this, besides her husband, is played by one man, Rory Kinnear. So he plays, Mm. I think, like eight different characters that each represent a different kind of man. And so the movie is bonkers. Like it just, it's in concept, it's bonkers. In execution, it's bonkers. It's not my favorite Garland film, but that's not a bad thing because I love Alex Garland's movie so much. This one, I think, is the most kind of 
um, esoteric out of all of the other oh. things that he's made. Because right. I know. And I, that's weird to say because his shit is esoteric. <laughs> like, it's I mean, weird. I'm also thinking about the stuff that he's written, like The Beach and like his, his filmography of things that he's like oh, either it, written yeah, and or written directed is like yes. esoteric central. So that's that's wild. So this one is even wilder. Like the ending wow. is like what i won't i you everyone needs to just it's basically a movie that i cannot believe has gotten so much marketing thrown behind it and i'm so happy it has because of how weird it is it's gonna have a lot of same reactions i think i someone else saw this i said this on letterbox i think mia vicino said this on letterbox which she compared it um to mother darren aronofsky's Mm. movie Mm -hmm. that in terms of how it'll probably be very polarizing in terms (laughs) of how people feel about it those are the best movies though for me Yeah, we'll see. I mean, like, I think it's, I was really, really impressed with how Garland captured what it means to be a woman and and experiencing the world. I was actually really shocked. Because I've had some fucked up experience recently with random men accosting me on the street. You sure as fuck have. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And so I was thinking about that a lot as I was watching it. And like, I went to this place, but I always go to these things by myself. And like, they're not far from my house, but I take an Uber and like, you know, you become so aware of how you have to kind of go through the world and the ways that I kind of act to make sure I don't get harassed. And so this movie captures that really well and also captures how that kind of manifests in different ways and how it can be masked as something innocent. And I just, Rory Kinnear plays all of these male characters with He's an incredible actor. He He's a, really good. He is amazing. And so he does such a good job with all of these characters. One of them that he plays called the Vicar is disgusting. Like, he is the worst character, but he plays it really well. I I think I really loved it. It's, t- it's just a lot to kind of percolate on because it's like a home invasion movie and a folk horror movie all kind mm-hmm. of crammed into one weird nightmare logic box. Yeah. Wow. So I'm excited to see it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm hopefully, I'm going to hope, hopefully try to go see it this weekend. We'll see if that pans out. But I, I love Alex Garland and I'm, I'm happy to hear that it is, uh, complex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. There's a lot of, <sighs> I can't, I can't. I swear, I'll spoil no, it. Please, but yeah, please there's don't. just some really cool stuff going on there that it's fucking wild. And I, again, stunned amazed excited that this movie is getting so much support like people who i people that in my life who are not horror people know about this movie and you know that's like a relatively big success when that happens Mm -hmm. um so not bad and before we move on just super quick i did watch the dawn breaks behind the eyes it is incredible loved it isn't it wild and do you see how, how hard it was to talk about? Yes. Oh, yes. Well, I'll talk about that in a little bit because it kind of connects to another thing I'm talking about. But yes, it is. Whew. Whew. But I'll talk about Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes in connection to something else in a second. But first, I want to hear about Sam's Sam Raimi's return to the superhero genre. I mean, this one's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Doctor Strange in the, in the Multiverse of Madness. And... um. I'll be honest, it did not have the highest of expectations. Fair enough. Because I have not... I have superhero fatigue. I've had it for a very long time. 
I do not think the last Spider-Man aside, I do not think the last um, offerings of the Marvel movies have been that great. I completely stopped watching the Eternals like 40 minutes into it. So I was like, I don't even know what is going on here. And I have another two hours, I think, of this. I'm I'm done. And I, it, it, it's sad because these are like movies that I was really kind of excited for because um, I really like the director behind the Eternals. I was like, you have... Um, you have some like non-white superheroes coming in then I'm like, okay, let's see how, and they just, I don't think they gave him the budget. I don't think they gave him like a good script to work with. I just don't think anyway. So I was sort of trepidatious going into Dr. Strange. And then I started seeing the articles about how it's pushing the envelope for what a PG-13 horror movie is. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's pushing the envelope of what a Marvel movie (laughs) How much violence of Marvel movie shows? Well, I, let me let me reverse that. How much violence on a micro level Marvel movie show? Because Marvel movies revel in, in massive amounts of say, violence. I get panic attacks from watching Marvel movies sometimes because I have this weird thing with disaster movies, like cities getting destroyed. All I can think about yeah. is all the people, and I get into my own head. So, like those movies are built on city leveling violence they are absolutely at that macro level but when you come to like one-on-one violence Mm -hmm. a character gets split in half in this movie oh one character i i'm I'm going to spoil this death so you don't want to hear anything about it please skip ahead but one character um that that dr strange meets in this multiverse has this i don't remember what the guy's name is but he has this ability that if he speaks he can like use it to like destroy things and uh, the villain of this, it's hard, really, it's really hard to talk about this movie without telling the villain. The villain is, is Scarlet Witch. Yeah. And she ma- she's like, tells him, well, you don't have a mouth. And his mouth is all of a sudden gone. It's just like flesh. And he goes, mm, and all of a sudden his head explodes. <laughs> because he has no word to like voice it. And Hell so it's like, yeah. there are gleeful moments where Sam Raimi's like impeccable design of violence is on display. And I was, like, shocked. So I was shocked not because of the violence in the movie, but because this was a Marvel movie and they were really allowing him to get away with as much as he could in a PG-13 rating. So, again, does not push the rating, but it is incredibly vicious for a Marvel movie. That's so funny. Well, like, people were saying that, and I was like, have y'all ever watched a PG-13 horror movie? Because, like, there's some shit out right. there that really does push the envelope. And, like... Mm-hmm. I mean, look, good for Sam Raimi for pushing it for Marvel. Like, I am very happy that my lord and savior, Sam Raimi, can at least get a little bit (laughs) of that, like, freedom again. Because his Spider-Man movies, except the third one. I'm sorry, I don't like the third one very much. But, like, one and two, especially two with with Dr. Octopus, that movie fucking rules. Like, he, and I haven't seen Darkman. I need to watch Darkman because I just just edited a really good piece on it. And it sounds, and, like, it looks incredible. And it's just like, Raimi has such an incredible filmography. And then this motherfucker gets to make, like, Doctor Strange in the its current iteration of the Marvel. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And in fact, I was like, I and so I had gone into this like, okay, how restrained is Sam Raimi going to be in this? And how much of, of Marvel is going to, like, pull him back? And the opening fight scene is with a giant, basically like a beholder, this giant eyeball looking oh, monster that like was in the trailers. the trailers and stuff? Okay. Mm-hmm. And it dies with uh, Doctor Strange taking, like, a pole or something, piercing its eyeball, and then pulling it out. And you see it with its, like, the eyeball train behind it. Oh, you know, the, yeah, the, like the ocular nerve, nerve thing? Yeah. Yeah, coming out with it. Like, this is glorious. And I'm like, okay, 
we're in for a Sam Raimi movie. This isn't going to be like a directed by Sam Raimi. This is going to be a directed by Sam Raimi movie. And I'll tell you what, this movie, I, I've seen like some people not like it, but I'll, I, in terms of like a Marvel movie, you have a score that is memorable because uh, he hired Danny Elfman to do the score. So oh, the score right. is memorable. I forgot that Danny Elfman did the score. And oh, wow. honestly, Marvel movie scores, not very memorable. Sorry to the composers because I think you make some really good themes, but the regular music, horrible. This movie, music is fantastic. There's action that's tied to the music. Um, Sam Raimi gets to go wild in the finale with like an undead corpse of a man coming to life. Like it's just, it's, there's some great moments of horror in this. There's some great moments of fan service in this. There's some, it just, I, I think this movie is good. And it was only two hours and six minutes long, which. That's so funny. So we watched, I watched the first Doctor Strange, not last weekend, but the weekend before. And I was like, oh, this is under two hours. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I was like, I was like settling in for like a long night. <laughs> Uh-huh. I didn't understand a lick of what was going on, but that's okay. I had fun. I mean, look, look, I get it. I know what's happening for the most part, but they have so many fucking specific names for every oh, piece yeah. of anything they touch. I'm just like, who? <laughs> I like, and I know I sound like an like old man yelling at cloud. I, whenever I talk about this, I feel like I sound like a curmudgeon, but like, me too. I just, I can't get into it and that's okay. That's okay. I also just haven't watched any of the show. I haven't watched. Sh- I haven't watched shit. I haven't watched shit. I just watched Doctor Strange for the first time two weekends ago. <laughs> I haven't watched any of the shows. I know who they are yeah. and like about the stones and shit, but I think I've like surpassed that to the point where I'm like, I actually don't know what's happening anymore. Uh huh. And you know, the thing is, is that like I have I have friends that are huge Marvel heads, and so I will go to see them. Look ways to spend a friday night like if you're going with friends you can like get a beer and like some snacks mm-hmm. like there are worse ways to spend your time yeah but this one i genuinely enjoyed oh well i'm glad to hear that i want to yeah. see i do really want to see it actually because sam raimi and i i had fun with the first one benedict cumberpatch yeah. freaks me out though but that's that's neither here nor there <laughs> i mean and that's one thing i thought this movie did a really good job on is sort of like coming to terms or at least introducing coming to terms with the fact that he's kind of an asshole of a character. Oh, good! And he is across all the multiverses, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he sucks. In the beginning of the first one, I was like, fucking get the transformation out of the way. I want to punch this man in the face. It's like, I know he's going to become a superhero. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Switching gears, let's talk about some scary music. Okay. This, This segment goes up to Tony Kaufman. Um, everybody. <laughs> so it's it's two things. I'm going to layer them on top mm-hmm. of each other. So one, I saw all-time favorite artist Lingua Ignata on Friday night. Oh. And she uh, she is behind albums such as Caligula and Sinners Get Ready. And she is a classically trained singer who makes music about her abusive relationship. And it's like Rape Revenge, the album series. And it's huh. really intense. It's a mm-hmm. lot. And I saw her live, and it was, like, going to fucked up church. It was really fun. Um, I went by myself because Steve was gone, and I also don't think he would have wanted to come because it's just a woman screaming about how much she hates men, <laughs> but using religious metaphor. Um, okay. It's fucking incredible. But, so I, Steve was gone this weekend, and has, has he has not left me alone for the weekend in the apartment since before the pandemic, so I was goblin mode, like, listening to this music, <laughs> and another album, 
by Ethel Kane that just came out called Preacher's Daughter. And if you follow me on the internet, you've seen me yelling about this on both Instagram and on Twitter. Um, because I don't have a personality outside of the things I hyperfixate on. <laughs> I actually added it to, to Apple Music and I started listening to it. Okay. So this is the one I really want to talk about because Lingua Nada was like a life-changing musical exorcism experience for me. And Sinner Get Ready is an incredible album that came out earlier this year slash in 2021. I can't remember. But Preacher's Daughter just came out. This is Ethel Kane's debut album. And Ethel Kane is a character made by this artist who's a trans woman. Her name is, I think, Anna. And it's this concept album where Ethel Kane is a young girl from like a Southern Baptist family and it sings through her life and it ends with her getting eaten by her boyfriend. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> I've only heard the first song. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Whenever I explain wow. it to someone, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. And it's like this beautiful, dreamy Southern Gothic pop music with the darkest lyrics you've ever heard. Like, the final song is, like, talking about how she's, like, being eaten by this man. And yes, oh I did buy tickets to see her live in July. And the tour is called the Frozen Bride Tour because she talks about being a body in a freezer because her, her boyfriend killed her. Uh, um, oh. But... <laughs> so good i know it's a lot like it's like i've been listening just to a lot of like women being very angry about their lives and i think that's probably because i'm working through a lot of things that i'm angry about in my life and this angry music is a soothing balm to my own rage but yeah it's incredible it it's it's dark obviously i mean like and it's not as obvious when you listen to it for the first time but like you know that you know You'll hear it. You'll 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 get the cannibalism. And one of the songs is called <laughs> August Underground. So like that also oh. is just setting the tone. Yeah. How did you find her? Tony. <laughs> okay. I thought so, because I thought I saw you both talking about it and I was like, what is this? So I added it to Apple Music to to listen to because I'm always looking for new music. And I've I uh I finished an audiobook and so I was like I had like maybe ten minutes until I got home. So I was like, I'm just gonna start listening to this in the car and really liked what I heard in the first like song and a half. The first half of the album is like her like as a kid, and so it's a little bit it's sad, but it's a little less like, hey, now my creepy boyfriend who I met is like making me like have sex with other men for money and drugs and then he oh, ate me. No. Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, like, I could be doing better, I guess, but, I mean, there are worse things I could be doing with my time. It's such a beautiful album. Ugh, <laughs> I love it. Give me more weird concept horror albums. And, like, it's like, and I bring it up here because it is, like, horror. It, like, it, it, it mm -hmm. sounds, it's like listening to a horror movie, especially one of the songs that has, like, demonic chanting in it, like, Gregorian demonic chanting in it. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, I want more music like that. And Lingua Ignata is kind of like that, too. Like, yelling and screaming and angry. So, if anyone has any concept albums for me to listen to that are kind of along those lines, let me know. Only concept album. I mean, well, Nine Inch Nails makes concept albums. Oh, yeah. And that was my first introduction to them. And then also uh, Coheed and Cambria. Oh, those are like, yeah. Mast I think Mastodon does Coheed. 
Oh, you know what? Another cause of top I really like is called is called Hospice by the Antlers. And if you can imagine, it's really not a very uplifting series of songs. Uh, something's <laughs> been wrong with me since I'm a child. It's fine. I'm just really depressed. But I, the reason I brought up Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes in relation to this is because I came home from Lingua Ignata. I was on two edibles and couldn't feel my face. And um, <laughs> I came home and was like, Okay, I'm feeling like shit. I'm going to watch Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes. It was incredible. So glad I watched it because it's also kind of about rage, feminine rage. Yeah. So it was a very uh-huh. beautiful pairing. And I was just, you got, you got the pictures for me. I was laying on my couch watching it and I was like, oh, uh-huh. Ooh, what is uh-huh. happening? So yeah, that's the connection. They all go hand We in need hand. to get the director on the show. We do. Oh my God, please. But my sad shit aside, I'm very excited for this one about crunchy music and ruthlessness. What is this movie? Yeah. So um, I know you've seen it as well. Um, and we've you've kind of told me a little bit about your thoughts, but I'm, I saw Torn Hearts, which is directed by Bria Grant, former guest of the show. Um, I think people who know me online or no, listen to the show. No, I like Bria Grant. I think she is doing some very interesting things in horror, both as an actress and a director and a writer. This is not written by her, but it is directed by her. And it is about a country music duo, best friends, who um, are trying to hit it big. And they end up somehow finding out about um, a former country music duo, a pair of sisters, who uh, one of the... Um, one of the the singers really enjoyed all throughout her her life, and the country music duo pair of sisters. One of the sisters died. The other one has been living in a pink Southern Gothic estate <laughs> since then. And that woman is played by Katie Segal. <laughs> what weird raccoon noise was that? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, <laughs> um the the young duo go to her to see if they can uh, you know work on a song together and they meet her and she is incredibly off from the very beginning and Katie Segal has like a lot of nervous energy I would say I love she has these nails and she keeps clicking them on things and she's always like discerning what is happening in front of her and in a very like spider on the wall type of maliciousness way. And it of course escalates and turns into a microcosm of the macrocosm of music and people being forced against each other, women pitted against each other to like get ahead. And the way that that kind of like generational, I don't want to say generational trauma because I I feel like they gets used a lot, but that generational like divide of well I went through this and this is the way music is, yep. so now you're going to go through this. This is the way it's it like is. Hazing. Like an, it's like hazing, but worse. If that makes yeah. sense. And it's um, it surprised me. I I did not I did not like the trailer. Um, I thought the trailer was like uh, I don't know if I want to watch this movie because uh, the trailer didn't do anything for me. But the movie, I think it's a little slow in, in the middle. I don't think the middle section quite knows what it wants to do yet. But um, it ends on a strong note, and I had a joyful, gleeful time with it. I loved. So I I was really surprised with this movie too because sometimes Blumhouse can kind of be hit or miss in some of their stuff, and mm-hmm. country music horror is not a thing, which. It's surprising <laughs> right. now that I think about it. And I was like, okay, this could be 
interesting. And then I watched it and it's so good. It's high femme country horror mm-hmm. and I did not know how much I needed it. It is like I I was lucky enough to interview Bria about this movie. And she was talking about how, like, she loves psychological horror and, you know, like, the whole, like, the heady concepts we have in horror. But she doesn't want to make those movies. <laughs> she wants to make things that are a little bit more, like, brutal and fun. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck yeah. Because, look, we all know how much we love, especially me, loves some fucked up shit. But being able to watch something that's, like, in the daytime, pink, bloody, oh, yeah. gross – femme it was incredible because like look femme can be brutal like brutality can be like this it's not one way and i also think it brings this really fascinating look at internalized misogyny and this like Mm, need mm -hmm. to be like clawing at each other to get to the top and what happens when you kind of succumb to that idea and uh katie seagal is incredible she has this charisma and aura around her that is both terrifying but also comforting like there's something about her that you want to go to like this maternal energy that feels very toxic but you can't keep yourself away from Mm. it and i just i was really impressed with everything about it like production design the songwriting there's there's a lot of singing there's i mean it's some good there's some good songs and everyone sang the like everyone sang all the actors were singers and oh. um, the writer, Rachel Croft, I believe her name is, um, she wrote the lyrics. Like, she wrote them with the oh. script. So I think she they were tweaked That's a little cool. bit to make them fit in the movie. But, like, she wrote a lot of the songs. So, like, they were written by the writer and everything. So, like, it was very much like a music production through and through, which is really fucking cool. But it's really surpri- it's surprising. It's fun. It's gross. And it's just, like fucking ladies being bitches and it's a great my favorite genre ladies being bitches ladies being bitches it's out as of today on epics um i believe it's probably coming to vod in june if you don't have epics and um i think it's it's having a release in june a digital one uh but it is on epics as of today yep so give it a watch y'all it's very fun yeah. Well, I'm so glad you liked it. I was worried. I was like, am I like overhyping this? Like, am I just watching so many movies? It's like, it's just <laughs> my sense of perspective well, at this point is just like, anyway. Yeah, I, um, it really sucked me in. And I was, I was, I was a little, I was a little trepidatious as well with both of these movies. But no, I, I really, I actually really enjoyed it. But let's talk about this granddaddy, granddaddy of crossovers. Granddaddy. 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 Um, what did we watch this week to to start off our horror comedy journey, Mary Beth? So we watched Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Which, we sure did. Yes, we sure did. And you suggested this one. And mm-hmm. what was it like rewatching it? I have so many fond memories of this. Uh, this was a movie that I watched a whole bunch of as a kid because it was, um, like I've said on the podcast before, I got introduced to horror through the uh, Universal Monster movies. Mm-hmm. My dad was a huge fan of them. And then I watched this movie and it has Frankenstein. It has Dracula. It has the Wolfman. It has a cameo by Vincent Price as the Invisible Man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it has all of this stuff. And I'm like, yes, give it to me. Give this crossover to me. Uh, and so I watched this 
all the time as a kid. I loved and watching it as an adult. I had not seen it since I was a kid. The opening cartoon where oh, Frankenstein is opening the coffins yes. and there's skeletons in there immediately brought me back. I love the opening theme. I think the theme is fantastic. It's it has like a London atmospheric vibe to it when um <laughs> when the Wolfman is calling Abbott and Costello about <laughs> things that are going to be delivered that that have the co- the corpses of Dracula and Frankenstein in them. And it just, I, I mean, I, I think, I think the middle section sort of drags on, on this rewatch, but I, I still had a lot of fun rewatching it, but I, I have been curious to hear your perspective because you've never seen Adam Costello movies. And I know you've never seen this before. So I was curious. I had so much fun. Okay, and good. I feel like I've seen an Abbott and Cassell. I don't know why. I don't know if I actually have. I was looking through their filmography, and I don't see anything that I recognize. But Abbott and Cassell, like, I know who they are. You, I mean, you know the bit, right? The who's on first. Yeah. That's them. Okay. Then it's, like, ingrained in my brain, I guess. But yeah. so... I was I was very interested to see how they were going to make the Universal Monsters funny. Mm. And I love how they were... I was very excited to see how willing they were, like, to have Bella Lugosi doing gags. Like, when they're opening the crate with Frankenstein's monster <laughs> in it, and he's coming in and out of a coffin. I was... I was giggling because I was like, okay, so cool. They're like playing, like everyone is in on the joke here. And I, I agree with you. I think the middle part does kind of drag a little bit. Um, and again, I think it's when they, they don't have Frankenstein. I feel like when they have, it's when they have all three of them together, all three of yeah. these monsters together, it's really funny. But then when you kind of have this like action-y plot in the middle and then you get to the end, you know, the pacing isn't great, but it's still, f- I still giggled quite a bit because I think, which one is it? Wilbur. Um, I love Wilbur. I love Wilbur with his little, like, <laughs> it's like, it's just so, like, 19. Chick! Yeah. Chick! <laughs> like, s- such, like, 1940s comedy to me in terms of, like, the voice and, like, the short fat guy being kind of an idiot mm-hmm. and, like, you know, things that and are not. And a little fay. And a little Yep. <laughs> and like being almost too dumb for the vampire to hypnotize. <laughs> like, you know, it's things it's things that we think about today. You're like, ooh, you can't really do that today. But then you watch it and you're like, well, this is where like you can see you see like where these things were born and kind of how they played out back then. And you still giggle. Cause it's I guess the context, but also like seeing them enter- like I don't know. Also I didn't realize how hot Bella Lugosi was. Oh. That was embarrassing. I texted Terry in the middle of his nap about a certain thing about all the Universal <laughs> monsters, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm sorry. That was a lot to just text you." And then you woke up from the nap, and you were like, "I was like, ooh, ooh. I, but but same, <laughs> but okay." I love at the very beginning when um, so you have. I mean, the whole premise is that you have uh, uh, Lawrence Talbot, aka the Wolfman, calling because he wants to. Make sure that Dracula and Frankenstein are not, or Frankenstein's monster are not delivered to this house of horror that is like a wax factory. And so he calls, and of course he calls in the middle of it being a full moon, and he starts turning into a wolf man while he's on the phone with Wilbur, and he's like, "Would you stop gargling your throat?" Because he just is like snarling at him, and then he's he's asking him to get his dog away from the phone. I can't hear a word you're saying, and then he barks at the phone like. Rah! Like <laughs> the guy is barking at him, and what what I love about this is that uh, yes, it does get a little silly with the monsters, but 
what I think works particularly in the beginning is that you have the super serious plot, like Lawrence Talbert's taking himself incredibly serious. And you have all of that kind of stuff, but then you drop this incredibly silly slapstick humor in the middle of it. And so it's that juxtaposition of like the super serious gothic horror movie with like bumbling idiots in the middle. And I think that's a lot where like that initial humor comes in and it just had me, it had me gagging. I loved it. I know it was, it's really, it's, it was really fun. And I, again, I, I think I was being like, Oh, could it be, is it like horror comedy from the forties? Is it going to still be funny? It is. Mm -hmm. It is, guys. Surprise. It's actually funnier than most things you see. <laughs> I'll be honest. I have I have been thinking for a while. Just like, is my is my sense of humor broken? Because I watch movies and I'm like, this should be funny, but I'm not laughing. And I immediately started giggling at this movie. It's just, it's it's silly. And I was kind of thinking how cool it would be to have like a modern day, like, I don't know, Key and Peele meet Frankenstein. <laughs> like, how amazing would that be? That would be cool. I feel like yeah, because we don't really. I feel have... like people are too super serious with their franchises now to have yeah. like a, a silly crossover like this. I know, yeah, because I feel like it's like always the Marvel stuff that's like the crossover of the century. But yeah, that would be really cool. Now that I'm thinking about it, because we don't really have like a comedy duo, except for and like Key and Peele don't really do a lot together anymore. No, huh? Interesting. Also, the uh, the finale I thought was epic. Multi room fights between okay. the monsters. I the psych the psych gags. Also, okay, my other th the one thing I wanted to bring up. Thank you for reminding me. Is when Sandra, Dracula's lady, Frankenstein mm -hmm. just picks her up and throws her out a window, <laughs> yes! and then it's never addressed again. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Like, literally throws the bitch out a glass window, and she just yeah. rolls out and yells, and they're like, uh-oh, and then every, it just, no one ever talks about her again. And she's not, like, a minor character. No. I don't, I don't, that made me laugh. And then, oh, and they were just having, the, the multi-room chases is definitely incredible. And also, it's Dracula and the Wolfman throwing pots of plant, like, pot of plants at each other. <laughs> Like it's the most yeah. incredible, like ridiculous, like they're like hitting each other with chairs and plotted potted plants and pushing each other through doors. It's like it's so slapstick. It's incredible. And then I also yeah. love the transformation from Dracula into a bat. It has like this animation sequence, and uh, it's really I cool. Know. Like I love how they're just like, oh fuck it, we're not gonna try to make it look super real. Like we all, you all know no. it's fake, so might as well just like play with kind of animation, and it's really cool. It's yeah, that's really good. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I'm also also glad that I enjoyed it because I was yeah. also like, I have not seen it since I was a kid. Is the humor still going to be fun for me? But I also I feel really like okay, like it. this is. I feel like in this especially, the humor is very like evergreen. If that makes sense, I don't feel like mm -hmm. it's. <laughs> I did love the union joke where like I work sixteen hour days. I'm part of two unions, and I was like, union humor in the year 2022 is relevant as ever, <laughs> which just made me laugh. But like. I feel like there's so many comedies out now that are so, like, grounded in very specific reference points. Yes. And it dates it so easily. And, like, yeah, obviously Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is dated for a lot of reasons. But I don't think the comedy is. I think a lot mm -mm. of it is still funny now. And I think that's something that 
a lot of movies don't rely on as much. I think they try to go for like topical jokes that people will get now instead of thinking about like yeah. comedy that will last. And like I understand that using like pop culture references for comedy is important, but like in a lot of movies, I feel like it's it's also why they're so fucking like problematic when you watch them five years later when we realize, hey, you probably shouldn't have been joking about that in the first place. So I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. And I again I have to say Lou Costello, Wilbur, he has so He's much charisma. So he is so funny. When um when his when his partner is like, I don't understand why all the women love you. I'm like, that's the guy everybody loves. Like that is the uh-huh. guy that I would would want to hang out with. Uh-huh. He is so fun. And I I loved the, the the gag in the early when he's like he's he's they've opened the co- the, the crates and the coffin is there and he's reading Dracula's like uh, legend and the coffin just keeps you know creaking open and the can the candle moves and he's like Jack! <laughs> so cute it's just oh it's just good uh, oh my goodness but yeah, uh, yeah so i'm glad we started off horror comedies on a very good foot so what are yeah. we watching next for horror comedies so i think we're gonna start to like look at this throughout throughout time and see how the horror comedies evolve but unfortunately we are going to take a step back because uh, I really would like to watch James Whale's pre-code horror comedy, The Dark House from 1932, not the William Castle remake from the 50s, the original OG, because I've never seen it. And I don't think you've ever seen it. I and... love me a pre-code horror movie. There are yeah, not a lot of them. Me too. No. But pre-code movies in general are pretty cool. So I'm excited. So yeah, I'm really excited for that one. But who are, oh my gosh, speaking of excited, who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? We're talking to my new girlfriend. Sorry. Um, We are talking to writer, director, and cinematographer Chelsea Lupkin, who is an absolute delight, sunshine beam of a human. And she brought with her the bisexual's dream movie, The Mummy from 1999. Hell yeah. Folks, when I tell you that this is the most fun. Get ready. I yell oh. a lot about being very attracted to everybody, <laughs> but also we all do, so it's not just mm. me. But no, it's, it's not just it's not just me. It's though. very fun. Chelsea is an incredible guest, and she is just very kind and sweet. And so you know, I and I, we get into this in the episode. I was I was like excited to talk with her, but also trepidatious. Again, I'm using that word a lot this episode. This episode brought to you by the word trepidatious. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Uh, but because because you know it's like I, you don't want to meet people that you have like really high hopes for and then be doused. But she was she's fantastic. She does a lot of those delish music or videos on the internet. That's she so directs cool. all of them. She's directed over two thousand vis- uh, video things for Delish. So if you watch any of those iconic eats or any of that kind of stuff on Delish, you're watching stuff that she shot. But anyway, she's great. I'm excited. I'm also very excited. Um, so listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch a film or listen to some of this weird ass music that we talked <laughs> about this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for horror comedies we should be covering? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please, 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 please review, rate, subscribe. So I won't be trepidatious. We have a week left until my birthday, y'all. We got to get to 100 for the 100 pictures uh, of me soon. Still sitting at 95. Come on, motherfuckers. You got another week. You can do it. Anyway, that's my encouragement for the day. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. 
Please stay safe out there, everybody. Most importantly, stay creepy. Until next time. Check. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>